Welcome to Eclipsis, a dark fiction podcast. Hey, thanks for listening and welcome to episode four. I'm your host, writer, and producer, Elazar, and today I have for you my darkest, most violent story I've ever written. Now, for some people, it's their favorite story of mine, and to them, I say they probably need therapy uh, because this is a very violent, very intense story right off the bat. So prepare yourself. This is a dark fiction podcast. So as they say, buckle your seatbelts and get ready for Cabin Flame. I killed them both, but I shot him in front of her first. With one barrel went his crotch. Next, with the second, his head disappeared. Blood, bone, pieces of his genitals, and brain matter painted the dresser and wall behind him like a beautiful abstract painting. She screamed something inaudible after I blasted him the last time. She didn't make a sound for the first one. I guessed it shocked her to see I'd have the balls to do what I did. Pun intended. I had earplugs in because I knew it would be loud. Now that I'm thinking about it, she couldn't hear a damn thing I was saying. I imagined the ringing in her ears covering the voice of me talking like a television news anchor on mute. Maybe she would have answered my question if it weren't for the ringing. I would never get to know. It all happened in slow motion, like I was moving too fast for the universe to catch up. One moment, I was outside the room listening to them have sex, and the next, she was in a fetal position in front of me, saying, No! in a whimper as she stared at the mangled corpse of her beloved. When I first walked in, they didn't notice me. I locked the doors with a master key from the inside. There was no use for her to get out, but it didn't stop her from trying. Her attempts to open the door made me feel bad for her in a strange way, like she was an animal caught in a trap and should be put out of her misery. She screamed again while I opened the back of the gun. She knew her time was running to a close. Smoke bellowed out of the two holes as the shells sprang out. While I fished for the ammo in my pocket, she pounded on the door and yelped, Help me! over and over again. I belly laughed at how foolish she was. Our vacation home was on a private mountain in Colorado. The closest thing to the house was a quiet little shell gas station, five miles away, with the same sleepy old man working there every day. Believe it or not, you still had another eight miles to reach the next home. Our proper home was states abroad in Texas. A suburban Victorian-style home, painted a deep purple, her dream home. It sat on the outskirts of the city of Austin on a safe street. It was her kingdom, and I respected her as its queen. So, things went her way, but not with my shotgun. It's ironic, I think. She always told me it made her uncomfortable that I kept it in our bedroom. It was my great-grandfather's in World War I. He survived being a trench fighter with that thing. He instructed me as a kid that it vanquished evil. I would imagine, while hearing his stories, him in his green uniform covered in dirt and grime, turning from corner to corner in the barbed wire-laden trenches taking out unsuspecting German soldiers. It's like she realized it would be her destiny. 
That moment sure felt like destiny to me. When I played it back in my head, I imagined the tune of an epic symphony in the background as I took God's judgment on them. The music they play when the hero destroys the villain in a movie. She knew she'd have to face the barrels herself one day. She would say we were getting rid of it when we tried to have a kid, and I'd argue we would need it even more in that case. But don't be confused. I'm not a violent guy. In fact, I've never laid a hand on her. That would make me a disgrace to my faith. My parents raised me to respect women and be a believer in God. We are all cursed with sinful thoughts. At least I can admit I had visions of torturing her when I first knew the gross thing she had done. The image of slowly killing them both, restrained to chairs, cutting off piece by piece, was tempting. But I'm not a monster. It takes a particular type of evil to torture someone. That's why I made it quick. It's not suitable for a man of God to feed his ego. At first, I thought of doing it back to her, thinking maybe my cheating would settle the score. Six months ago, I was on a business trip. I sat at a bar in the college section of Boston. I met a young lady. Barely 21, she informed me she was into older men. That beautiful girl later laid naked in my hotel bed while my penis was limp. All I could think about was my wife and her lover. I feared I didn't satisfy her, and I was about to share her dissatisfaction with that young woman. Embarrassed, I told her to leave. My partner took away my manhood. The betrayal strangled the fruit of my loins. I cried for hours that night. I thought about going to confession to speak about it. I hoped it would clean my dirty soul, but I never did. When I first found my wife, I thanked the Lord for bringing her to me. I assumed she was a gift for my faith, and later the ultimate test of it. I eventually converted to her church. I felt if she came from God, then I must follow in her direction. I did everything for her after that, and all I took was her smile as my payment. I wasn't successful when we met and never thought she was with me for my money. She was my rock when I started my business. When we went bankrupt a year into it, she still believed in me. I took that belief and ran with it, creating what I hoped was the perfect life for us. She was my muse, my inspiration. Why? I said with tears in my eyes as I loaded the first bullet. Tell me, I said, wiping the snot off my nose and the water from my hurt eyes. After everything we've been through, I'm so sorry, she said, hyperventilating, struggling not to look at her headless lover. Liar, I said. I spent ten years of marriage trying to be the best husband she could ever want. I was supposed to be the only man for the rest of her life. That's what she swore that day when she put on that white dress, and I wore that tuxedo in front of our friends and family. I learned about the affair a year ago and let it go on. Watching and observing the way she moved and lied to me was breaking my heart, but I did nothing. I pretended I didn't know, and I'm an excellent actor. The anguish I went through was so painful, but in some twisted way, it made me feel more alive. Every day I let it continue only strengthened my resolve for what needed to be done. The only other time I'd held an emotion so strong, so inspiring, was when I first fell in love with her. Like a demon in the corner bathing in filth, I reveled in the darkness, and I felt shame for that. I loved her more than anything, 
and I didn't stop loving her even after I killed her. I grew up for her. She made me who I was. I was a reckless young man when we met, but I gave up on my artistic dreams for her, joined her religion, became successful in business, bought her nice things. All she said she wanted in a man. As I slid in the second shell, the symphony in my imagination was at its climax. The horns were blasting, and the drums beat, anticipating the ultimate finale. But when I shot her, the music stopped and everything was silent. I then stood alone in the room, in the middle of what I did. After a moment of silence, I left for a minute to grab the gasoline out of my truck. I returned and doused the bodies, but I couldn't help but notice my wife's lifeless eyes staring off to the window, like they were fascinated but bored at the same time. I chose not to shoot her in the head. I wanted her to keep her pretty face. When I fired the gun, I aimed for the center, the place where the womb of my future child was supposed to be. I shot close range with both barrels at once, cutting her in half. She was trying to share herself between her lover and me. Now he can have both halves in hell. I stood outside and watched my multi-million dollar cabin burn. The orange and red flames reached the height of the trees. I didn't plan for the fire. I just did it. I thought it was fitting. The embers flew bright in the air like fireflies in the daylight. One hit a branch close by where I was standing, and the entire tree went up. That's when I left. I drove and watched in my rearview mirror as the black smoke rose into the open blue sky. I sped by the gas station and imagined the police questioning the attendant about who lived at the house that burned down. I regretted being friendly with the old man. I knew they would find out what I did. Flashes of panic ran through my mind, so I turned on the radio to calm my nerves. The local station was playing Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper. Thinking it fit the mood, I tried to enjoy the tune, but the music cut off. The DJ said, Breaking news! A private mountain outside of Judith County is on fire. Police suspect its source to be the home of Stanley Amato, CEO of Amato Industries. The number of casualties hasn't been confirmed at this time. I turned off the radio and thought about rotting in prison. I envisioned the loneliness and abuse I would face. Like a martyr, the cause of my suffering would come from their ignorance. What I did wasn't wrong. I was within my right as a man and a husband. The saddest part? God would not judge me in this world. My fate hung in the courts of blind bureaucratic men and a jury of random people wishing they weren't there. The image of it made me sick as the hours passed. My drive home flew by. You know, they say when you come back home from a trip, the ride back is always quicker. But this was the first time I noticed that to be true. I speculated about not going home and brainstormed about a new life on the run. I weighed the pros and cons. I noted there mainly were cons and continued onward. It was a clear night when I got to the city. You could see some stars out. That's one of the many things that made Austin a special place. A block away I saw the squad cars outside my home and one sitting in my driveway. As I drew closer to the flashing red and blue lights, I pulled over. If you've gotten this far, just know I never wanted to kill myself. I'm not that kind of person. It just seemed like an easier way. They say suicide is wrong, but I know God could read my heart. 
He understands me. That's why I wasn't afraid when I took the revolver out of my glove compartment. I wasn't even scared when I pulled the hammer back and heard the click. Thou shall not commit adultery, is what it says in the good book. Ones who broke that law in those times were judged harshly, and it was perfect justice. That's why my last breath was the easiest one I know I'd ever take. Before I pulled that trigger, I knew what I did was right. I knew I was going to heaven. Hey, I hope you're not too traumatized and you enjoy this episode. I also hope that this is not your first time listening to Eclipsis, because it's not always like this. Also, if you really liked it, sometimes it's a little like this. But this is the most violent story I've got. And I'm not a gratuitous person. So I'm not really into gore and stuff like that. Uh, I just felt like this story deserved to be on this podcast, and a lot of people enjoy it. Um, so also, if you enjoyed it, if you'd like to read it for yourself, you can check it out on Amazon, along with all my other books. You just type in my name, Elazar Guzman, E-L-E-A-Z-A-R-G-U-Z-M-A-N. And yeah, thank you so much for listening, especially if you've listened any of the past episodes. I really appreciate it. I really, really do. So, yeah. See you next time. Bye.